0: The same for the Fed.
1: Is, is it an admission of defeat if they buy Bitcoin?
0: Of course it is. Of course it is. But they're going to end up buying it without even realizing Like they're going to come out and they're going to say something like, hey, we're going to prop up the stock market and we're going to buy a basket of S&P and we're going to buy a basket of Nasdaq and we're going to buy a basket of uh, Russell and whatever else. And then all of a sudden it's like, you guys own Bitcoin. <laughs> Hey guys, welcome to uh, this edition of the Once Bitten Podcast. And there's a new book hitting the shelves that's called Magic Internet Money, which I can't believe there's not already a book by that title. Maybe there is. I've probably missed it, if, if so. But Jesse Berger has come out of left field and absolutely nailed it with this one. I got a sneak peek at the book, read through the PDF version. Can't wait to get myself a copy of the paperback, which is already on order. urge everybody else to go out and do it. It's gonna be one of those that is gonna be so easy to share around because he's really done a great job of distilling down Bitcoin into nice bite sized chapters of information full of cool quotes, full of Bitcoin stuff that we all love. So I really hope you enjoy this show. Thanks so much to Jesse for stepping up and, and doing this work and being brave and, and putting it out there. So, before we get into the show, usual shield for coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten. Thank you so much for supporting the show, Obi. Uh, thank you, Adam at Adam Woodhams1 for putting all of this together. Couldn't do it without you. Thank you, Subadders at Hodler Than Now for the music in the background. Big shout out to at Play Shamory. Go check that out. There will likely be a free game code knocking around somewhere maybe in the show notes maybe in the tweet thread make sure you look out for that it's a brilliant game great initiative by scott and it's getting a lot of rave reviews and this time you guys picked yourself up a nice family little card game and if you can get it for free even better or if you can go support scott and the calls for bitcoin education head over to their website go find at play Shamory. p-l-a-y s-h-a-m-o-r-y Let's get into the show. Thank you, everybody. Really appreciate you listening. And I'll uh, catch you after. Hey, Jesse, great to meet you. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your, your, your whole story and the, the reason you've written your book. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time
1: oh thank you it's uh it's it's really a pleasure to be here
0: so to my left is our co-host lauren who uh, you announced you had two questions so okay we'll see how we go Fire
1: away
2: okay um so why did you decide to write to write the book
1: well bitcoin uh, as you are learning is A complex idea and I had this notion in my head that I thought I could simplify it to some degree. Um, I I thought I could present it in a new light. I thought I could uh, inject maybe a little new life into the discussion and just you know give people a new sort of frame of reference a new way to look at Bitcoin Um, So yeah, I I wanted to to tell the story from my perspective basically And I thought that I had the the know-how and the voice to do it And so yeah, that's why I wrote the book
0: And do you know what, you don't know what Jesse's book is called Because you've not seen it, I've read it on PDF It's not like you've seen me sitting on the sofa So the book is called Magic Internet Money
2: that's because, like, so Bitcoin's on the Internet, so I get why it's called Magic, because it can change your future, too.
1: Well, that's, uh, yeah, it's, it's an attractive title, I think. It's something that, you know, if you were to read while browsing a book catalog, it might jump out at you. Um, and, and to be fair, I, I obviously, as you may well know, I borrowed it from uh, the initial Reddit, uh, Reddit page for Bitcoin. So I can't take credit for coming up with it. Um, but it, it, it seems to be coming in handy right now.
0: And what was your other
1: question?
2: My other question was, why did you ask my dad to come on the podcast?
1: Why did I ask your dad to come on the podcast? Yeah. I want Well, do you mean, why did I want to come on your dad's podcast? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, first of all, I wanted to field a question from the toughest interviewer in Bitcoin. I, uh, I had to be up to the challenge if this book was going to achieve any modicum of success. So that is part of the reason why I asked your dad to come on this podcast.
2: Thank you. There you yeah, go.
1: Thank you. you.
0: You do realize you are the toughest question master in in the whole Bitcoin space. You, you do know this, right? Parker told you this the other day and and other people have quaked in their boots.
2: I don't say I'm the toughest. (laughs) Toughest is too much.
0: No, but the the beauty is nobody knows what you're going to ask. So that's like the other day we were talking to Phil Gibson, which this episode probably will come before Jesse's. So hopefully this will make sense. Uh, Phil had a whole story ready for you Mm -hmm. in case you asked, what is the Fed? And then you didn't ask what is the thing. So he doesn't tell the story until about an hour into the show. And he tells it as if he's telling it to a nine-year-old and there's only me listening and thousands of other adults. So it's pretty funny.
1: I, I wasn't actually prepared for the question that you asked. I thought maybe you would have shown um, Lauren a few pages of the book perhaps some of the ones that have less words and more images um and maybe there would be some question about that that's where i thought perhaps this would go
0: well in the book there is lots of pictures of a wizard does that make sense considering what the book is called now you know what the book is called
2: yeah so i get what it means because
1: like the wizard is magic Mm -hmm. and the uh the wizard is, I mean, it, there's no actual protagonist and antagonist, but in spirit, the wizard is the, the protagonist of the book. So you will you can sort of follow the journey, even if you weren't able to read and follow all of the words and all of the arguments, in a way you could almost just follow the images and those alone, to a degree anyway, tell the story.
2: I just realized there's mm-hmm. a sticker with a wizard on it, like with this...
0: Mm-hmm. It's that kind of wizard. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I have that sticker on my little notebook, don't I? I? I put it
2: in like I put a little bit of like Bitcoin stickers in my um, Yeah. Yeah, in my notebook. <laughs>
0: we've we've got a lot of stickers. Big shout out to uh big I shout like out it. to Bitco and uh, MTC BTC for sending over some stickers and the Sats Ledger. Uh that's that's really, really nice. The kids loved them. And I've even got them stuck all over my phone and my network. doesn't
2: like it. She thinks it's embarrassing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> she won't when she checks her SATs balance in five years. Uh,
2: yeah, but, but I like it when you've had the honey badger because it looks a bit old fashioned now. It's got but like.
0: Yeah, the that, honey badger on the that, phone. That, that yep. kind of he's,
1: another, he's another very important character in the Bitcoin uh, narrative, in the, in the greater Bitcoin story.
0: And what did we watch the other day on Wild Kratz? Wild
2: Kratz, it's this TV show to learn about animals and it's funny. (laughs) Um, And we learned that uh, the honey badger, uh, it's a cousin of the skunks. It is, um, of course, eats honey and there's a honey guy to lead it to the honey, to the, to the, Hi, sorry. Where the honey is?
0: And is it the most ferocious animal? Yes,
2: it is. There you go. The most ferocious
1: <laughs> animal he, in he, Africa. He's a he's a fearless. I shouldn't say he. He and she. They're they're fearless creatures.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's why it is the symbol, the the mascot of Bitcoin, oh. the honey badger, because it's it's not afraid.
2: Oh, I get why
0: now you get why i've yes, got a little honey badger sticker. yeah b- okay well, like bitcoin,
1: bitcoin is like taking it. on some some big challengers so you you can't have you can't afford to be fearful when you're taking on such such large enemies as bitcoin yeah. is
2: and if so bitcoin is very really strong
1: and bitcoin is indeed extremely strong <laughs>
0: Well done. Do you want to say goodnight to Jesse and, uh, yeah, and go to and go eat have some dinner? My dinner. Yep. Stop bye. banging the door nice pick you. up on the audio. Good
2: <laughs> Goodbye, night. Goodnight. Take care.
0: Bye bye. Bye. And don't forget to bring up the rest of that beer. Send... <laughs> it's the fishing. <laughs> Thanks, Jesse. Um, well, it's well, a great, great book. It's a great book. I, I really, really enjoyed reading it. It's so easy to read it's split up into very small segments. So it it kind of like, and you're nodding your head. So that was clearly a decision that you made. Do do you wanna talk about that?
1: Yeah, I I made a very conscious decision uh, somewhat early on that readers, I guess in general, or if if we're gonna talk about this sort of complex idea that is Bitcoin, that I had to divide it into little bite-sized chunks that you could A, you know, read read a little bit and digest and understand it. And then B, if as you progress through the book, I reference that idea and you're like, oh wh- you know, this sounds familiar, but I don't quite remember how Jesse explained this or how this works, you can very easily find your way back, go back, reread that argument. And then the subsequent arguments make that much more sense because everything was designed very intentionally to slowly build one on top of the other on top of the other um, so that when you finally add them all up and stand back that you could have this clearer picture of perhaps what Bitcoin is or what Bitcoin can be.
0: And it works so well. And we're going to get to the book a little bit later on. But first of all... We want to talk about, of course, we're all a sucker for a rabbit hole story. And this is why people (laughs) tune in. This is why I tune into podcasts. So I'm an absolute sucker for a rabbit hole story. But first of all, you're so deep down the rabbit hole that you've written a book. If I just look behind you, you have Radar Rains at Petex, stock to flow ratio, beautiful artwork, amazingly framed right behind you how did you get one of those prints and you know a big shout out to to at radar rain pete
1: yeah i i i saw when the image came out and i was sort of intrinsically just attracted to the image i thought as a work of art it was you know it spoke to me it was beautiful um obviously the stock to flow model has gotten a lot of attention in the last couple of weeks some good some bad um, but that aside, I liked the way it just reminds me that um, Bitcoin is getting increasingly scarce That's like when I look at that picture I, I you know it's not about the price and, and obviously you've read the book so you know price is At the very bottom of the list of things i talk about in the book um it's about scarcity and what that scarcity stands for and so that's sort of what i see when i see that um you know i i'm here because i think price will inevitably follow as do many bitcoiners um or all bitcoiners i guess um so yeah that's you know i i just saw it it spoke to me and i was just like i i have to have it It just it it fits in. It just, it feels right. So I went out, I bought it and I've, I've had a few um, conversations with, with Radar Rain or PEDEK um, on just online. Um, and yeah, she's, she seems wonderful. She seems great. I listened to her podcast when she was on your show. Um, so it just, it, it just felt right to have it.
0: That was such a great episode. That was the day she had finished it. And oh we, really? We just had, yeah. And we just had such a great conversation I was drinking a beer, she was drinking a, a cocktail of some sort and it was really, like the work she put into it, obviously you have a print, the, 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 the work she put into like that, that one piece, the original piece with the, the moon dust and the gold leaf and the silver, such incredible, I mean, this is not fiat art. Let, let, let's, let's just state that
1: yeah i i mean that's again it's part of the attraction when when you can tell by looking at something that someone put had, had such high attention to detail and cared so much about the work right that's that's something that speaks to me this is actually the third piece of bitcoin art that i that i own i have two from uh at space bull uh, i'm not sure if you know him i, I he's affiliated with bull bitcoin but uh he has, it's very different from the Petek piece. It, he's just got this sort of raging, awesome energy to his work uh, that comes out. And I'm, I'm like so madly in love with the pieces I have from Space Bowl. They're, they're incredible as well. So people should definitely check his, his work out too. Very different from Pesek's for sure, but equally impressive and incredible.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go do that. And I've never really been into art, but what I see coming out of this space is such an incredible attention to detail and kind of low-time preference attention to detail. The, the there's a guy here in in France, Pascal Boyart, that just draws the most incredible replications of, you know, revolutionary style French revolutionary style pictures and um puts a, a bitcoin spin on it and it must take so long and it's just incredible but i want to ask how many friends have you had over i know it's different now in lockdown to lockdown times um how many conversations has that started that piece
1: <laughs> well unfortunately yeah, I'm, unfortunately because of the uh the lockdowns here in canada and obviously in, in many places around the world um very few have seen it, um, basically family members. Um, and, you know, I've been explaining it to my girlfriend a couple of times, like, this is what this line means, this is what this line means, here's what these dots mean. Um, and she is, you know, not at all <laughs> affiliated or interested with Bitcoin. Her profession is completely different. So it's it's interesting having the conversations with her, explaining to us, as someone who is, as you said so far, down this Bitcoin rabbit hole, to try to slowly lure her in just a little bit just so she can get a taste of what it's all about so it's it's yeah it's it was certainly purchased to be a bit of a conversation starter but it hasn't had that the intended effect just yet
0: well it will and it looks amazing so excellent job petek really really cool to see a piece like that framed behind you so let's let's go back then before we start with the rabbit hole let's go back to a career in like mainstream finance. And what were you doing there? How how did you find yourself there? And, and what was your role?
1: Yeah, so I um, studied economics and philosophy in undergrad before uh, working in retail banking. My first job was at one of Canada's large banks in retail banking. I was you know, that sort of bottom of the rung guy that you would go see when you wanted to open a bank account or apply for a credit card or maybe um, put a few mutual funds in your retirement account. That that was, you know, my sort of introduction to the world of banking and finance. Um, from there, so I, I did that for four 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 and a half years. And then after that, I went to work at a full service brokerage Um, managing portfolios. I was uh, like an associate uh, investment advisor alongside a portfolio manager, and we managed um, about 120 high net worth households. We had $100 million assets under management. Um, So I did that for three years. And I realized towards the end of that three years that I just did not like managing other people's money um i learned that as much as people will love you when you make them money they will hate you more than they ever loved you if you lose money and that was a a stress and a burden that i i didn't want i didn't want uh, people blaming their livelihoods or pinning their lot li- not blaming but pinning their livelihoods to my decisions because i you know i'm very much imperfect i am very much you know, not perfectly knowledgeable and and skilled in how to invest. I was still learning in it. I just knew I needed to go a different direction. and so once that once I made that decision, I ended up going to get my MBA because I got it because I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I needed to change paths. Um, and from there, that sort of opened up a few other opportunities. Um, there were different uh, events, I suppose, along the way i'm I'm sort of skipping over some things, but I wound up in management consulting I, I did some consulting for a big bank for six months before joining uh, a, a more boutique firm for two years where i did market research and customer experience consulting and project management where i ran uh the entire market outreach campaign or market research campaign for one of canada's large insurance companies and after I wound up back in Bitcoin and my story with Bitcoin begins earlier than when I left my, my previous job. But, uh, I left that last job to, to basically get into the Bitcoin world.
0: Cool. Right. Well, I, I want to go back to when you were managing people's money, because this is, I, and I've spoken to Andy Edstrom about this, uh, on a, on a couple of separate occasions. If how many of those people that are still in that in that realm in that job right now have even looked at Bitcoin in your opinion and actually have done just like the the, the lowest grade of work to even try and understand it
1: so i am uh i would say not. As in tune with that industry as i once was uh, right now where things stand but i i have a few you know friends and old colleagues that i'm in touch with um maybe in in terms of like lowest level of skimming and just hearing and knowing about bitcoin in canada i i would think it's relatively high because we launched that uh bitcoin trust uh i think it was earlier this year um so i think there is a I think there is a pretty good amount of awareness of Bitcoin in Canada. But in terms of actually doing just a little bit of research to find out for yourself, other than, oh, Bitcoin is magic internet money, maybe 10%, I, I, 20, I, I, I couldn't say. I, I wouldn't really be the right person to ask, to be honest.
0: Yeah, and this is what worries me a lot, that people that are managing other people's money and i've had conversations with this and i get called out for saying you know things like this even people on uh, on twitter will call me out like you know stop trying to scam people and all this this just like basic fud from somebody that is a 15 year career man of uh, managing other people's money in in air quotes and i just think it's such a dangerous situation that we're in right now that so many of these people that are managing people's money all they've ever known is stocks and bonds
1: and there's a re- oh, sorry i was going to say there's a reason for that though right they live in a world of regulations and model portfolios and you know staying in their lane and so exploring outside of that while you know maybe some of them do it personally to incorporate it into their you know monitored accounts for their clients is a professional risk and that makes it uh, perhaps a little trickier for them to want to incorporate it, even if they do want to incorporate it, which is, is a question mark, right? We don't, we don't know if they even really get it because a lot of these guys are, are, are also salesmen, right? Some of them, there's obviously a, a good percentage of investment advisors who, who genuinely care and want to manage money properly for clients, but there's also a contingent that's out for themselves. They're trying to you know get their commission, make a sale. It's, it's, you know, they, they talk the talk of, you know, I, I'm here for you, but their actions don't necessarily always line up with that. And I'm, I'm not trying to slight the whole industry or pr- paint the whole industry with this brush, but there's always actors like, like that.
0: For sure. And, you know, it's not, a, it's not a part of finance I've ever worked in. I've certainly been advised by it and I've certainly been on the wrong end of it more than three, four or five times probably, you know, these legacy financial investments that I'm still trying to worm my way out of, which I can't because I'm locked into them. And if I do, then I'm going to end up paying ridiculous amounts of, of, of fines. And I just can't wait to be done with these things, which you're missold as a young man when you're 21, 22, 23, and you've just got a little bit of, of extra income and you think you're doing the right thing. So my uh, my worry is that the, the, the people, I, I think instead of the guys that are on the street, because the incentive structure is all wrong, right? It's all about how many customers do you have and how much money do you have under management rather than I've got 10 clients and they love me and I'm going to make sure that these guys are okay because you don't get paid for that.
1: Right. You know, the, like, yeah. It's, it's, it's very difficult. The, again, I, I come back a little bit to the structure of the industry in general, that they, they box you in a little bit where you have this defined lane that you need to stay in. And, and again, I'm speaking from just, you know, full service brokerage. I did we didn't have our own hedge fund. We didn't have, you know, we, we were very, uh, I, I guess narrow is what I could say and how we could operate in the way we were, we were able to operate. So um, again, I, I, I can't speak broadly for the industry, but in terms of, yeah, just, you know, we make deals. A deal comes across our desk, for instance, this spot deal is like, oh, we should throw more Enbridge in this client's account, Enbridge being a big sort of infrastructure utility company here. Um, it's like, well, we weren't necessarily planning on buying it, but just the deal came up. And so we're going to take it maybe it fits in their account, maybe it doesn't, but it's a good, stable company. We wouldn't be wrong to put it in their account, but it's not something we were so passionate about. It's just, oh, there's this opportunity where, okay, maybe we're going to make a little extra profit because we buy this this deal. Um, and that sort of struck a little bit of a sour note with me throughout my tenure.
0: So if that money, like you say, a spot deal comes across, is that money, that, that money's been... Kind of, I assume, won by the salesman of the of the company that has.
1: Well, so the the you know a, a conglomerate of banks will underwrite a deal, and the different brokerages will be allotted. You know, you get ten percent of the deal, you get twenty percent of the deal, you get fifteen percent of the deal, and then within that ten percent, the bank will send out a notice to the all the advisors and say, "Hey, we have you know five hundred million of this deal. Do you want uh, you know?" Half a million of it, a million of it, whatever it may be, and all the advisors will sort of pipe up and say, Yes, I do, no, I don't, I want this much, I want more, I want less, whatever
0: right it's uh that there are so many layers to that onion that it amazes me when people push back and say, Well, Bitcoin's just too complicated, I don't understand it." And then you just scratch the surface layer of the financial system we've all been born to, which we think we understand, which we have no idea.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll many... be the first to admit that, you know, for my experience, I, I'm still just, you know, layer one, layer two of the financial system to, to really get into all the, the plumbing and all, all the, the nuts and bolts of how everything works it's still beyond my scope i you know i i listen to podcasts and interviews with different specialists in the field um some of them obviously in in bitcoin right now and i'm always blown away when i learn something i didn't learn before uh a recent example was i heard caitlin long on a podcast uh and she was talking about how when the fed increases the money supply it's not you know it's not like it was you know, call it 50 years ago, where m- new money equals inflation. It's that new money is basically backfilling old loans and new money that the banks are that the commercial banks had already created. Um, so you we're not going to feel it, certainly not right away. That that buffer that it creates for them will give them more leeway a little bit down the road. We'll feel those effects a little bit down the road, but it's not that same sort of instantaneous and commensurate uh, impact that it might have been in days gone by.
0: So something led you to a great big hole in the ground <laughs> with, a, with, a, with a, a tiny dot of orange at the bottom. Wh- why? What happened?
1: Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll take you on a little bit of a story here. When I started my career in retail banking, I started in October of 2006. So it was right basically as the financial crisis was getting ready. Um, and as I said, I had sort of studied economics in undergrad, but I didn't learn a whole lot because, you know, the, the economics were taught in school. It's, it's theory, but when it comes to practice, you're, it's a whole other animal. It's something completely different. So I quickly learned that, oh, you know, the way that I was taught or, you know, this is how things are supposed to work. It it doesn't actually work like that in reality. And I was introduced to Peter Schiff, who perhaps you know who he is, Um, and Peter Schiff's video blogs from, you know, call it 2007 onwards for four or five years, however long it was that I was was listening to them. I was listening to them religiously. I learned more from watching 15-minute clips of Schiff ranting on YouTube than I did in four years of undergrad. Um, his, you know, his analogies, the way he explains things, he's obviously a very animated person. He, uh, you know, I shouldn't say single-handedly, but he was a major influence in shifting my perspective on economics and how, you know, finance and the economy works. Um, and so he got me started on gold and sound money. I was initially a gold bug. Uh, I was a gold bug for quite some time. I still own gold because i think just like holding bitcoin you know you hold bitcoin because it's a hedge gold is a hedge in a different way i don't think it has as great of a risk return profile as as bitcoin does now that i've done my homework on bitcoin um but it's still a valuable component of a portfolio in my opinion um so i own both people and bitcoin might like that not like that but um it is what it is. Um, and so anyway, so Schiff got me going on, on economics, and, on Austrian economics and sound money. And I remember hearing about Bitcoin. I want to say, it was I think it was 2011. I was just finishing my work in retail banking, or my career and my job in retail banking. And it was on my radar. I, I understood the principle that, okay, there's 21 million of them. It's scarce. And they're coming out on this predetermined schedule. I had no idea how mining works, no idea what proof of work was, no idea what and any of it was other than it's a fixed amount, it seems to take energy or work to produce, and it's coming out on the schedule. That, that's all I knew. So that resonated because I was like, oh, it's it's sort of gold on the internet. Um, and when I started in in wealth management uh, later in late, you know, in mid 2011 or Q1 2011, uh, as it was starting to gain just a little bit of prominence in these very niche circles, I remember talking to a few of my buddies and we were going, it, it was trading at like 50 cents or a buck. And we were like, Oh, we should like, why don't we just put like a thousand dollars into this? Why don't we just buy it and see what happens? And then of course, you know, we're all looking at each other and knocking our heads together. And we realized, Oh, we're just a bunch of idiot bankers. We have no idea how we would even store it or buy it. So yeah, we didn't. And then Bitcoin did its thing and went to thirty dollars within, like I think it was a few weeks. We were we were just watching the chart daily, climb, climb, and we just thought, okay, you know, we missed the boat. Whatever. I sort of put it on the back burner um, and went about trying to find my way in the world.
0: <laughs> okay, if you had have bought, would you? At what price would you have sold out?
1: I have a feeling that I would still have some, I, I, I feel <laughs> good for I, you I think because again, and I'll, and I'll tell you why, because right. I I told you, I worked in wealth management and I, I you know, we wrote both highs and lows. And if there was one lesson I took away from that, it's that you need to employ some amount of risk management. You have to have, it, it doesn't have to be perfectly clearly defined, but you have to understand you know, risk and reward, and you have to understand that things that go up can come down. You can get in, you can get out, um, and the um, uh, what, what's the expression? Uh, burn. Um, anyway, I, I'm, I'm losing my time here, but uh, <laughs> I feel like I would have sold a little. At what price? Gosh, I, I have no idea. Maybe a, a hundred bucks. 100X <laughs> sounds pretty good, right? But who knows? I might have been so caught up because I would have been going further and further down the rabbit hole that instead of selling, I probably would have been buying even more at the top.
0: Yeah, that's that's a strange thing, right? Because there was such little information in those days, unless you were part of that mailing list. Yeah. What really were you ever going to find out? What were you ever going to find out about Bitcoin other than the mainstream telling you it was all just dog shit? You know, that that's... I remember Bitcoin in 2009 because I, I worked in foreign an exchange and everybody was like, yeah, whatever.
1: <laughs> like, exactly. Are you
0: kidding? Like, it
1: really? It was, it was just this fad, right? It seemed like, Oh, this is like some weird little niche thing. And in the back of your head, you're like, okay, it's kind of neat, but I guess it'll go away. Cause like, why would it stay? Right. We, none of us understood it or very, very, very few people could really wrap their heads around it then. And even still, you know, I, I don't consider myself an expert by any means, um, but to wrap your head around it is is a monumental task. And so, why, if you bought it, like, why, oh yeah, why would I hold it forever? Like, you know, back then, right now, now because we've been propagating the arguments more and more, and I'm trying to contribute my bit to that. Um, okay, I, I can see a little bit of that light at the end of the tunnel. Of yeah, like this is something that it's not that I would ever sell. It's that One day, I hope to be trading it for something. It'll be hopefully a medium of exchange.
0: And and, and people also underestimate as well when they look back. It's like, yeah, okay, fine. Let's say you bought it a dollar. It goes to two dollars. That's hundred percent.
1: That's compared to the fact (laughs) you're buying. That's an incredible return. You're right.
0: (laughs) you're going to sell out and you're going to think you're a hero and you're going to go down the bar because you were 22, like 23, whatever. It's like, you know, so oh, yeah. w- the, the point I'm trying to make for people that are listening is we are still so early that, you know, just stack, take it easy. Just you back me up on this 50 bucks a week, whatever you can afford. And let's just see what the next 10 years bring.
1: Yeah. It's, it's hard to get that through to people, right? That even at, Ten thousand dollars per Bitcoin. It's still early. It sounds crazy to say out loud. Considering I was thinking about or wanting to buy at like a buck, right? I was. I look now. It's like, well, that's that's ten thousand X. That if I had followed through and figured out, put in the effort to figure out how to do this, I could. I could have. You know, I would be in a much nicer condo than I am now. Um, <laughs>
0: Yeah, yes, true. This is very, very true. Um, okay, well then let, let's let's move on to after retail banking and managing money, you moved into consulting. Yeah, what was what was the gig there? and who were you consulting for and why? and could you give us a little, look under the, the hood of that kind of lifestyle?
1: Sure. Um, I So I had two consulting jobs. The first one, I would say, was somewhat uneventful. It was more of a um, data analysis type of role. We were working with a major Canadian bank and basically evaluating the, for this project we were on, evaluating defaulted borrowers, commercial borrowers, and just sort of building a database of different data points and the reasons why these borrowers went defunct. It's that particular um, role was pretty mundane. I would say the best part of it for me was that was my first managerial role where I had, um, you know, I was a, a, an associate consultant and I had these analysts who were on my team that I, you know, try to manage their performance and coach them and, I just, you know, as someone who at that point, okay, I had a few experiences under my belt in terms of I'd worked for seven years, I got my MBA, um, to now, okay, I finally get to manage some people, and they're fresh out of undergrad, they're so green, it was, I had so much fun just kind of coaching them up and trying to build them up, because, you know, for me, I, I, I enjoyed the people more than anything when I was working on that, it was just a lot of fun to interact with. It, I, I happened to be on a very strange project. It was enormous. We had at its peak 80 people on one, on this one project. Uh, yeah. So we what? had, we had like 50 plus of these, you know, 21, 22, 23 year twenty-three-year-olds analysts just doing data analysis and input. And I'm getting to interact. On with one bank. You. Pardon?
0: On one bank.
1: On for one bank's commercial defaulted borrowers. Yes.
0: Oh, one bank specific. That's amazing.
1: Well, the banks so in Canada, people. there's like, there's five large banks and they have, right. you call it 90% of the market share. And then there's sort of everything else.
0: So, so centralized.
1: And, and it was, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there's, um, you know, and this wasn't like one year's worth of borrowers, right? This is historical borrowers going back. Mm-hmm. We were going through paper, you know, files that weren't digitized. You know, part of the project was, okay, we need a input the status so that they would have an You're in. you actually in warehouses
0: going through um, people's Yeah, we're going files. back through
1: papers, reading, <laughs> oh you know, bankers' notes, which were very often incomplete um, as to, you know, to try to piece together the story of what happened to each of these borrowers.
0: My goodness. That is some old school stuff.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, we were going, yeah, like old bankers' boxes of, you know, we had some of it was digitized, but when you couldn't find something – You'd have to go to the file room and dig up their file and then start flipping through pages to see if you could find the missing pieces, which sometimes were there and sometimes were not. Wow. Um, so, yeah, it was, you know, it, it is what it is. It was not the most eventful job, the most interesting job, but like I said, the people. Turned out to be the best part for sure. I, I enjoyed so much working with the people on that project. I think because we were all just commiserating with each other about how miserable the project was. <laughs> um, and then, so the reason that I, so I worked there for six months. The reason I jumped ship to my next job, actually had to do with a project I did in my MBA. So I'm not sure how familiar you are with uh, today's sort of you know MBA world um but they do these case competitions do you know what a case competition is right so for the for the listeners um you'll be presented with a business challenge and whether you have a couple hours a couple days or a couple weeks whatever it may be depending on the structure of the case whether you're competing against your classmates or competing against other schools um you try to come up with a solution to the problem, a recommendation, or here's how you would tackle this problem. Here's where you would direct the resources and why. Um, and so at the end of my tenure as a student, um, there was a case competition sponsored by the economist magazine and my program director asked me to lead a team of three uh, on this case. I had had call it a good track record with with case competitions at that point so he sort of trusted me because the case competition this was you know the most prestigious case for our school um for the year so i was i i was given the task of okay i'm i have this team of three and we're gonna tackle this case and, and the structure was they give you the case the judges announce the case you have two weeks to put together an essay which had to be I forget how long now, but it was a twenty-page essay basically, and then a week after that, you submit a video presentation of the case. So you have to, you know, we're, we're again we're business students. We're not you know visual people. Uh, you have to you have to pull this thing together in very little time, and we ended up so we competed against twenty-five plus schools from around the world. There was a school from Brazil. There was a school from the UK. A lot of them in the US a couple other Canadian schools. We won first overall, as determined by the judges, as well as we got this People's Choice Award where all the submissions were posted online and people could vote for who they thought was the winner. So we, we swept it, and because it was in The Economist, it started up being this marketing boom for me, um, and so I was you know, sending it around and posting it on my social media, and I, that led me to the next company I ended up working for because the, the owner of the company saw it and she called me up and she's like, Jesse, this was an awesome presentation. Um, the analysis that you did is actually very similar to the analysis we do here, except we apply it in a completely different way. And I had been looking to get out of finance. So, right, I had, I had done the banking and wealth management. And then from the MBA, I just, you know, I needed a job. And what did my resume tend to? It tended to financial services consulting. So that's where I wound up. Um, but this was an opportunity to try something different. So I jumped into this, uh, boutique firm in Toronto that, you know, was a dozen people, it, you know, had a dozen employees, it was small, but they were all, you know, top-notch performers. Um, and that's when I got to manage this market outreach or market research campaign for the big, ins- one of the big insurance companies. There's like three big insurance companies in Canada. So even more centralized than the bank, um, <laughs> So I got to manage their campaign, which in itself you know, was an education because I'm learning about how market research work and what these institutions are looking for in terms of feedback from their clients, which again, and then what they're using that data for as well. So that was a very interesting education to get as well.
0: So now with your background in mainstream finance, in consulting, and your now knowledge of Bitcoin and what is going on right now with the news of Fidelity today, the news of Square last week, the news of MicroStrategy, and the upcoming news, which we are all waiting from the Q3 earnings reports, where there's gonna be minimum, I think, two or three other players in this field. Although somebody did point out to me today, Stuart Dawson, big shout out. We had a chat. A listener of the show is like, do you think people are going to hold fire until the election is done, and then, you know, perhaps Q4 or Q1 of next year? Which I hadn't actually joined those dots together. But my question is, and John Vallis brought this up in uh, one of his shows. There's going to be there's going to be a need for people like yourself with your knowledge to consult. And I think Safe even consulted for um, the latest uh, hedge fund.
1: Uh, Stone Ridge, I, I believe. Yes, is that, does that sound Stone
0: Ridge. Right? That's right. The, the, he was one of the consultants there. This is becoming a real thing now. And people within the Bitcoin sphere can now, instead of just shouting about it on Twitter can get back into boardrooms and make a real difference. And this is really exciting, I think.
1: Yeah, I, it's, you know, it's an inevitable, it's like a snowball, right? That Bitcoin's just been slowly accumulating mass and momentum over the years. And I, now that it started in the corporate treasury world, how can it not keep going? <laughs> Right? What's the argument for why it wouldn't continue to happen? I, I can't find it.
0: I mean, come on. If if Square are in, who's next? Twitter? Does that not just make complete sense?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think we're, we'll be surprised. I, you know, we want the Twitter because, okay, Jack is the CEO of Twitter, and he's the Bitcoin bull, so, so we want Twitter to, to get on board. And you know they probably will at some point, but the next couple are are going to come out of the blue. I feel right, like MicroStrategy when they first announced, completely out of the blue, no one saw that coming. So, if they can do it, why can't more companies do that? Right? There, there's some, you know, board of directors somewhere. There's some CEO who's tuned into this, who's tuned into Bitcoin, and seeing what's happening and realizing, yeah, I. I need to get on this. It's, it's, it's becoming the responsible thing to do again, slowly, but surely gradually, then suddenly it's, it's becoming the thing you, you have right now. It's the thing you want to do and soon it will be the thing you have to do. Yeah,
0: (laughs) No, no doubt. And you know, the argument against this is that that kind of shuts the door to everybody else that like the individuals on the street, but somebody like Preston Pish would turn around and say, "Well, no, this is going to be the the, the quickest way to mass adoption."
1: Yeah, and who, who owns all the the stock? Right? I mean, not all the stock. Obviously, a lot of insiders own stock, but right, the public to you know owns a fair amount of stock. So if companies randomly pop up and oh, now there's Bitcoin in our treasury. Oh, I happen to own that stock. You know, I, I didn't see it coming, but hey, now I'm by proxy a Bitcoin owner. So. Yeah, I'd...
0: the same for the Fed. Pardon? The same for the Fed.
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. We'll see what happens with them. I. Well,
0: because... if they own, if they own, if they own bonds, and if they dip themselves into the market by proxy, they're going to end up owning Bitcoin.
1: I would like to think yes, that's true, but for them to buy Bitcoin, it. Is, is it an admission of defeat if they buy Bitcoin? Of course it is.
0: Of course it is. But they're going to end up buying it without even realizing. Like They're going to come out and they're going to say something like, hey, we're going to prop up the stock market and we're going to buy a basket of S&P and we're going to buy a basket of NASDAQ and we're going to buy a basket of uh, Russell and whatever else. And then all of a sudden it's like, you guys own Bitcoin, you dickheads.
1: Yeah, I guess I guess by yes by by accident they may, but I yeah. thought you were saying you know intentionally will they come out and you no. know sort of try to self custody their own Bitcoin account that that no. their own Bitcoin wallet I, I don't know if that'll be the case, but yeah, they, they custody, would definitely they not do that. Bitcoin, <laughs> which is which is amusing for sure. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right, let's get to the book. What and this is an interesting thing that you DM'd me earlier you suddenly got some nerves or some jangles about coming on the show and imposter syndrome, which is totally, totally understandable. I get imposter syndrome pretty much every day. I can't believe people listen to my show and you know, DM me about it and, and tell me about the value that they're getting from it. So I, I understand where you're coming from. What made you then take that leap of faith and write the book?
1: Well, I wrote the book before the imposter syndrome came on, so that's number (laughs) one. (laughs) Um, And yeah, it was a weird thing. Last night, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, holy crap, I'm going to try to get my book in front of a million strangers, right? I'm going to be shouting about it all day on social media and in interviews. And complete strangers are going to be reading my work and judging it. And critiquing it, and oh, he sh- he shouldn't have said this. He shouldn't use this word that way. Oh, this argument doesn't make you know. I'm I'm trying to psych myself up for all the daggers that will be hurled at me because I know there will be. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's just a daunting thing to to, in my small way, to contribute to and represent Bitcoin. The. Vast idea that is Bitcoin. You know, that's that's a big weight on my shoulders, e- even if no matter you know how successful or unsuccessful my book is, I'm still right. I'm on your podcast. You have your audience. Complete strangers will be hearing my voice right now. This is this is something that's new to me. Um, and it's it's a weird, strange, somewhat nerve wracking feeling. I'm feeling pretty good right now, but. It's, it'll be very interesting. I'm very curious to see how the next few weeks go, obviously launch is coming up on October 20th. And by the time I guess listeners are hearing this, it'll, it'll have just passed. Um, So I'm very, very excited and super interested to see what happens with launch. I have a, I won't, I won't spoil the surprise, but I have a, uh, we'll call it a campaign planned and I'm just very interested to see what kind of reception it gets
0: wow that's a great great character dangle and I'm um, i'm very honored to to be part of part of this journey of yours and you know i know how much hard work it takes to write a book and, and get something down and put your your thoughts into something and your take into something and then that's all fine once it's written but then when someone edits it that's something different when you know when that comes back to you, you're like, ah, oh, maybe I should stop. Because if the editor has crossed all this stuff out and said, "Move this here, move this here," who am I? Who am I kidding?
1: Yeah, the write, the writing process is is arduous. Like I, again, coming back a little bit to the format, I predefine this you know, size, and you know, everything had to be concise to a certain degree, right? Every argument was this bite-sized argument. So I'm trying to pack, you know, a hundred different small but impactful ideas into these little spaces and then show them in a way that stacked them all up on top of each other. So fitting into my own confines was definitely a big challenge. Um, and then, yeah, the editor, so I, I was very fortunate. I had a wonderful editor. She... She knew nothing about Bitcoin, which was great because I wanted her to read it and then do you understand what I'm reading right? If you can understand it as a avid reader then i'm I'm contributing i'm I'm being some you know this this should be somewhat successful so um she was great, you know she would highlight you know this sentence, what are you getting at um these 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 arguments seem out of place um so, and when she would make these little points, it's funny, because she would make very small comments, and I would see it, and instantly I realized, okay, well, this connects to this, and this connects to this, and I suddenly am, am going from changing a sentence to changing an entire page, and then three paragraphs on other pages. Uh, so it was a very interesting process. I, I was my own toughest critic. I usually am. Um but and, and even now, I mean, I read the book and I still see blemishes and imperfections. Um, <laughs> but I, I guess that's what happens, right? If, uh, you, you've yeah, you've written the book yourself, right? So you probably know that feeling yeah. too. Um, For sure. But regardless, and, th- I, th-
0: and, and in this space, Jesse, things are moving so fast that something that you've written could be completely different in a week. And I could imagine your. I can now sit myself in in the place of your editor and thinking, why is he misspelling the word when every single time? And we, where's the H? And, what, you know, number go up is grammatically incorrect language. <laughs> <laughs> why does he misspell hodl? Like, is, <laughs> is there something wrong with his keyboard?
1: For the, for the listeners out there, I did not say number go up or hodl in my book, to be clear. <laughs> I did not say that. But, but... I did, as you now know, I I did insert a lot of Bitcoin culture into the book in ways that to the novice, I hope will be seamless, but to the experienced Bitcoiner will be uh, pleasing.
0: I'm going to read a paragraph because this is the paragraph that I wanted to read, that I picked out. And it's a killer. Uh, I wish I had, excuse me, Excuse me listeners I have to clear my throat to to deliver this properly I wish I had guy swan with me right now <clears throat> he's he's the master at this and and hopefully guy will will read this so everybody can uh, can get to listen to it um I, you know I'm I'm sure you're not too worried about sales so,
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm definitely a little worried. I, I haven't sold one yet. <laughs> it's not it yet, so we'll see what happens. But uh, but yes, I based on feedback from my you know closer sh- social circles, they're they're looking forward to it. Knowing me, knowing some of the work I've done in the past, they they know I'm capable of putting out you know a quality piece of work. So I'm sure I'm sure I'll get a few dozen sales at the very least.
0: All right, well let's try let's try this paragraph. Bitcoin. As an alternative money is unprecedented for the speed and scope with which it is revaluing the opportunity cost of pre-existing money everywhere. Its insistent presence in the global marketplace redefines money by demonstrating that it can exist independent of any state, that it can be compatible with time, that earnings can be commensurate to productivity, that credibility comes at a cost, that patient improves judgment, The precision precision, fosters efficiency, that incentives outperform mandates, that utility is consequential, that proof builds trust, that justly empowered communities are resilient, that scarcity is a prerequisite of value, that competition drives growth, that adversaries benefit from collaboration, that good governance entails accountability, that equality breeds morality, that social consensus is scalable, and that responsibility is inseparable from freedom. Amen, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Paragraph of the century about Bitcoin. And Jesse's sitting there with a big smile on his face. You were on fire when you wrote that paragraph.
1: I... I had this rough idea for that paragraph in my head <laughs> very early on. I had no idea how I was gonna pull it off, but I'm very happy with the way it came out. And <laughs> I won't, yeah, I won't say any more about that. That is uh, a wonderful is that, teaser for the book.
0: Is that the first time anyone's read that paragraph back to you? Yes. And when I told you on DMs earlier that I'd picked out a paragraph to to read on the show. Did you have any inkling as to which one it would be?
1: I mean, there's a couple, right? There's a couple of doozies in there. You've you've read yeah. it. <laughs> um, I It was yeah. That was you know high on the list of possibilities for sure.
0: It's a killer, man. That is a killer, and I can't <laughs> wait for people. I can't wait for people to pick up the book and uh, and delve into it. And I mean, I I won't give away at what part of the book. That that paragraph comes, but it's like I was reading it, and then I read, reread it, and then I reread it, and then I practiced reading it because I wanted to nail it on the show, and I screwed up two words. Sorry, it was beautiful.
1: You did a fantastic job.
0: (laughs) But this is the passion that people are bringing out of left field. I mean, like two years ago, you were not an author of a book. Nope it
1: wasn't you. even on my radar. Not, not even a, you know, a twinkle in my eye.
0: Look, look at what Bitcoin does to people.
1: It's, it's amazing. Yeah. What, what this book turned into it. Funny thing. It, I didn't start set out to write a book. I, I told you I had left my job and I knew I needed to be involved in Bitcoin some way, somehow. And at some point I, I just said to myself, all right, I'm going to just put together this sort of pitch deck, you know, right. I used to work in wealth management. I don't want to manage money, but like, I don't know what to do. So I'll put together this pitch deck for Bitcoin. I think I can explain it in a way that I can try to get it through to people. And this pitch deck ballooned into like 80 slides of just words. And it was was very funny. I I was having beers with a buddy of mine and I was showing it to him and he's like, Jesse, you're an idiot this is a no one you cannot present this to anyone but this has the bones of a great book why don't you write a book and i was like dude like i i can't write a book what do i know from i'm a a, you know banker in an mba no one wants to hear from me um but yeah lo and behold bitcoin you know it, it just it eggs you on right it you if you're into bitcoin you just have this passion that just keeps refueling you and and just Wanting to make you talk about it and learn about it and research it and and this is the end result of of my last couple of years looking into it
0: and I had Croesus on the show recently, and we talked about crossing the chasm, going from the the very innovators really we're not even probably at the early adopter stage. this is what a lot of people don't even realize. Maybe we are now because we've got the the public companies coming in. So, yeah, maybe we are at the early adopter stage, but is crossing the chasm, which is key. And it's people like yourself and Creases that are coming out of the woodwork, and we talked about those other lurkers on Twitter. So what's your message to people that might be listening to this? There might be one or 2,000 people that listen to this show. You are brand new on the scene. You've got a book in hand, and you've got a story to tell. What would you say to those people that, trying to figure out how they can contribute to the space
1: as well. You just have to start. You just have to do something. And it, it honestly, it doesn't matter what it is. Like with me, right? I started with this pitch deck. It didn't end as this pitch deck, but that's how it started. And I did it because I just, I was, <coughs> I knew I needed to to be out in front about Bitcoin to to my local community. I wanted to to talk about it. I want to be, you know, spreading the good word um and so i just started on this and then as you know i evolved with my learning and understanding the project evolved you know and lo and behold like you said here i am now i have this book in hand that i'm so extremely proud of and can't wait for as much as i'm nervous about strangers sinking their teeth into it i also can't wait because i'm I'm dying to hear you know reactions like yours i hope i get lots of reactions like yours um, so yeah you just if, if you're in the space, and you're not sure what to do, you just have to start doing something. Anything doesn't matter. Can go, go to meetups, speak at meetups, even if they're virtual. Um, talk to Bitcoin companies. Try to find out, I guess, you know what what their needs are, what they see in the landscape. Um, I, obviously, I, I don't have that, you know, that whole picture, and no one does, and that's why we need, you know, all of us sort of banded together, working together, pushing. You know the story forward and it'll come from many fronts
0: it totally will it come from so many different fronts and there's not a there's not a boring day in bitcoin there just isn't never there you you learn something something new every day whether it's something new about a, a different sector or a different area of business that you had no exposure to before or you learn something about yourself or you learn something. It, it, it's just, it's endless.
1: Yeah. You mentioned, well, you mentioned someone like Croches, right? Who I, mm-hmm. I didn't, I don't know how long he's been around, but I've been following him now for a couple months. And it's just, I don't know where you were before, but suddenly you're here and like, you're awesome. I love it. Keep up the great work, you know, keep doing what you're doing because you're killing it right now. And, and that goes for so many people out there. Um, there's so many people doing great, interesting work and, and, everyone approaches it based on their different skill sets and their different, you know, angles and perspectives on it and, you know, where where they can focus their efforts to push Bitcoin forward.
0: Okay, you ready for the question?
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Nervous face again, yeah.
0: Hit me. Are you, re- are you red or orange pill?
1: I think orange pill. I like orange pill.
0: All right. If you had one orange pill left to give someone, who would you give it to and why?
1: I'm going to go with someone we already spoke about on the podcast. Uh, I'm going to give it to Peter Schiff. He (laughs) was a big influence for me. And there is no reason that he shouldn't be able to wrap his head around this. Right. He, from a libertarian political perspective, the economic perspective, the investing and finance, like he gets it. I don't. It's it's strange that he can't put the, the technology, if you want to call it the technology piece to it. I, you know, he's not going to be the most influential person in Bitcoin, right? But it's just he ended up being a big influence on me, and you know, I would love if he read this book. And whether he, I don't expect that it would convert him to Bitcoin. I don't expect he would take the orange pill at this point. He's already come this far without it. But for me, that's one person I would love to see.
0: Awesome. And you're right. I can't, I, I just can't figure out.
1: Because it's, it's right it's, up his uh, alley. There's no reason he shouldn't be supporting this. Right? There's no none reason.
0: None at all. And he's actually doing his clients a disservice if he's not.
1: Yeah and, at like least. I sa- yeah. and like I said, you know, there's a place for gold too. But just as there's a place for gold, there's a place for Bitcoin.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: mean, there should be a bigger place for Bitcoin <laughs> in my opinion, but... <laughs>
0: of course and well we all know even if you put like one or two percent into it in two or three years that one or two percent is going to come four or five percent at six or seven percent of your total portfolio
1: at, at this and, point- and this
0: is funny. This is funny. This is what I read in Fidelity's thing today. They were talking about rebalancing portfolio, and it's like if you put like five percent in, and if that five percent becomes ten percent, then you're going to have to sell out and rebalance your portfolio. I'm like, yeah, all right. If you're if you're orange pilling boards, at boards of directors, and then a year later you go back and you say, right, your your Bitcoin position has now become ten percent of your balance sheet you're going to have to rebalance. What are the board going to say? You're like, no. What, why would we do that? <laughs> We've done nothing but sit on this and it's doubled. We're all right with it. You know, we were thinking about buying some more.
1: At, at this point, there is zero argument for owning zero Bitcoin, right? You know, Pomp <laughs> talked about get off zero for a yeah. while. Um, there's no reason. What You know, P- let's go back for a second to sort of the traditional wealth management sort of mantra of Uh diversification, not put all your eggs in one basket, right? You own mutual funds because they have, you know, a plethora of stocks in them. you have bonds from different companies and different countries because one may have a good day. One may have a bad day. They offset each other. Bitcoin fits right into that argument. It is a completely different asset class. It is a completely different monetary system. You know, it's insurance against, these other assets, you, you don't necessarily, it's not about going all in, right? If you're getting started, it's about sort of like, you know, people who are starting to work in Bitcoin, just get started. Don't have zero. Zero is the wrong number. <laughs> That's it. Zero is, is the wrong number.
0: It's actually the riskiest thing you could do.
1: There's, like I said, there's zero reason to have zero Bitcoin.
0: Well, Jesse, what a great place to, to leave the interview. And I want to make sure people can come and find you on Twitter and be ready for the book that you're about to release and get to read it and interact with you. So can you give a, give people the website and your, your, your Twitter handle? What's the best way to, to come and interact with you?
1: Yeah, for sure. So you can find me on Twitter at JayberJay. So J-A-Y-B-E-R-J-A-Y. Uh, and my website is magicbitcoinbook.com. Um, and by the time this is released, you'll be able to buy my book on Amazon, on Kindle, on Kobo, on any e-reader, um, the paperbacks on Amazon. So yeah, it, you, you shouldn't have trouble finding it.
0: That's awesome. Man. And is there any Parting thoughts that you want to leave the listeners with, any anything at all?
1: Uh, how about I borrow from uh, from Matt O'Dell here, I'll say. Stay humble and stack sad.
0: Perfect. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for putting your trust in me and being the first podcast to come on. It's really very humbling, and you've nailed it. I'm sure this episode is going to go down really, really well. And you're going to get a lot of people reaching out. Let's stay in touch because I've got a lot more questions. We can can bounce ideas off. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much.
1: This was an absolute thrill for me. This was great. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Hey guys, thanks for listening, and a uh, big thank you to Jesse for coming on and sharing that. And really hope that uh, this takes off for you. It's a brilliant book, as I said uh, in the show. I really enjoyed it. So if you are listening, go help Jesse out. Retweet the link to the book. Go order yourselves a copy. Reach out to him on DMs. Do whatever you do whatever you do uh, to to help support these guys that are putting themselves out there. It's. A big decision to make you know when once you've got all of this kind of information on your brain and all you want to do is talk to as many people about it as possible there's different things people do i started a podcast jesse wrote a book people are writing articles some people are doing youtube channels people are making memes you've heard me talk about this before stepping up and taking part and putting yourself on the line for bitcoin just to help educate one or two more people across the line that's that's what this is going to take and jesse's really done a great job with this i think you're going to love the book like we talked about he's done a great job in condensing this down and making it really easy to understand i think it'd be a really good one to hand around to new people coming into the space before they get into the weeds of the other stuff you know some of the heavier reading so really appreciate your work jesse and uh, and the stories you know of your backgrounds coming from the mainstream world as many of us have and seeing the light and making the jump and getting across and contributing to the space and also supporting it in in the way of buying the artwork and supporting the the artists that uh, are here doing their great work which is another great thing to see so Really hope you enjoyed this one. Thanks again, Jesse, for coming on. All the best of luck with the release. I know you've now released it. I will, I'm will. i trying to drop this for a big impact for you, so you might get a few more books in pe- other people's hands. Thank you for picking me to be part of your journey and uh, to be the first to read the book and release this podcast with you. I'm sure there'll be many more people lining up to interview you and help you reach as many people as possible. So guys, if you're out there, if you're lurking, if you've got something to to add to the space, you know what to do. This is the time. It's going to come so quickly that we're going to need all hands on deck to keep pushing this message, especially with what is coming out of mainstream media and regulatory bodies right now around the world. It's going to be a tough fight, guys, but we got it. Don't worry. Uh, I know we do. Well, I'll leave it at that. Make sure you interact on Twitter, like, share, retweet, rate, whatever it is you do. Really appreciate it. And I look forward to the next show. Before we sign off, make sure you go start stacking some sats. I mean, if you're in the UK, coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten, that's where you want to head. That is a Bitcoin-only exchange, and you can pound cost average there. If you're in the US, head over to swanbitcoin.com forward slash once bitten they're bitcoin only they're all about the education they're all about holding your hand and make sure you do it right with the insight and goal this is a long term play don't go in too heavy don't over leverage don't overstretch yourself take it easy use their dollar cost average service and enjoy the rocket take care guys i'll speak to you soon and uh thank you for listening as always really really appreciate it